0: Hey, this is John and B. Joe Trimble from the Las Vegas Star Trek convention.
1: And you're listening to Women's Reward.
2: And welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Grace. Hey! And Jara. Hello! Or as they say in German,
0: Guten Tag. <laughs> wow. I
1: think that technically means the good morning, so.
0: Uh, yes. Well, I'm not a linguist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, Hoshi is... Yes. Oh, no way. <laughs> so we are going to be talking about Hoshi today, but first we have our typical housekeeping. And uh, Grace, you did want to say something, though, about one of our previous episodes and some stuff that's been in the news.
1: I do, um, actually. Uh, this is addressing episode 33, our feminist super crew. And as of today, when we were recording this, we have now reached a point where a second member of my crew pick has... Uh, been outed with some very problematic behavior and for that i wanted to apologize it's easy for me to say that it was not my intent in the picking of my crew to hurt or offend anyone but intend in one hand crap in the other see which piles up first it's that would be an easy way out i want to apologize for anyone who's going back and listening to old episodes and finding anything triggering or upsetting Again, that was not my intention, but I take full responsibility for if that may have happened to someone. We really don't get to see the future, and we've had a lot of um, toxic behavior getting uncovered in the past year or so. And again, for that, I apologize and hope to do better in the future.
0: Yeah, it absolutely could have happened to any of us. and um... I don't
1: feel like any jump cannon would have gotten exposed as... uh, (laughs) sexually harassing anyone or like bell hooks
0: most well. of our feminist super crews are still awesome <laughs> yes yeah and
1: I I will be the first to admit that a lot of my crew and a lot of my picks were based out of coming from what I thought would be funniest and what I thought would be pop culture savvy and uh, was coming from a point where I was still very much invested in the idea of being a friendly feminist, if that makes sense. Um, If you're coming from an environment where you're dealing with a lot of other non-female identifying people who you have to make your ideals and your uh, rhetoric known to, it is really common to feel like you need to present a level of friendly and non-aggressive feminism. And that is really hard to unlearn. And it's something that I'm still in the position of unlearning and hoping to keep trying, and doing better at.
2: As should we all. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that said, it's a heavy topic, but I mean, I think we'd rather know these things and let the truth get out there than have a perfectly clean 33rd episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, there's it's that. It's just a sign of
1: the times, really, that we're finding out more and more who's a jerk.
2: Yep. Allegedly.
1: <laughs> yeah. I will still maintain, though, that Master of None has some really awesome feminist-friendly ideas going for it.
2: All right. So (laughs) 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 what is also important is supporting your favorite podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Nice segue. Nice. (laughs) And you can help support us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash women at warp. Or you can help keep this content coming by donating anywhere from $1 a month up to as much as you'd like and basically get our thanks up to us talking about random silly things. Or even at some levels, uh, helping us choose an episode topic or joining us on an episode. Uh, so we really appreciate all the support over at Patreon. Um, and also you can help support us if you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or even on Facebook. Um, so ratings and reviews on any platform help drive traffic and and help the algorithms of those sites show our stuff to more people so it helps to spread the word
1: tell the machines that we're le- worth telling others about
2: yeah it helps facebook decide yeah. that they should show our stuff to people because facebook has a consciousness now spooky <laughs> the the 20 the actual day of the 25th anniversary of deep space 9 came and went and we did not release a watch along but we are hoping to do so.
0: It was very quick after the new year, and so it caught kind of all of us off guard, Uh, but we are planning on doing our next watch along uh, for Emissary, and we'll get that out to you, and can celebrate DS9 in other ways over the course of the year.
1: Remember, you're celebrating DS9 every day that you question the concept of a utopia that exists in a bubble.
2: (laughs) And now let's celebrate Enterprise! Wait. That doesn't sound right. No, hold on. Let's celebrate Hoshi. (laughs)
1: Yeah, all right. I can do that. Okay. Look, we gotta let our feelings show here.
2: All right. So, uh,
0: this week, we are going to take a look at one of the two main women characters in Enterprise, Hoshi Sato. A linguist, exolinguist. Uh, She is a codebreaker. She is... Uh, one of the very few Asian women characters of note in Star Trek. And she's played by the lovely and talented Linda Park. And we are going to go through some of, you know, her high points, her low points, maybe some of the missed potential there, and some missed points. Yeah, do we wanna, do we want to start with the premiere with broken bow? So premiere, first appearance
2: of Hoshi. There's not a lot here. But what we do get of her introduction in Brazil makes it seem like she's going to be a really interesting character.
1: It really is a strong start for her. We first see her teaching a class and doing some, some grade A trilling on her linguistic skills. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, it really is a skill as an actor to be able to just sell just completely nonsensical dialogue and j- jibber jabber and make it sound like you're taking it seriously and like there's actual intent behind it. We see a lot of that in Star Trek and Linda Park just is aces at it.
0: Yeah, I noticed that watching rewatching a bunch of her episodes is she's really good at techno babble. It didn't feel like boring to me at any
2: point. And we have her teaching this class here, showing I think more confidence than we see for a few seasons from this character and. She's clearly highly sought after, but doesn't want, she has the, if you want to call it integrity, to not want to leave her class before their test, whatever test it is, that's coming up. But Archer intrigues her with a recording of Klingon. So what is getting her to do that, what's getting her to to leave early to go on this mission is wanting to learn more about her field. It's an opportunity that she'd never get again.
1: Which is, again, just such a great starting off point for the character um, of that being her main motivation, this desire for knowledge and wanting to go out and learn more. For sure. How promising is that? Yeah.
0: So the second episode of the series is actually like fairly features Hoshi pretty prominently. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was one where we learned that Hoshi is afraid of space.
1: Which is an interesting dichotomy, character-wise, for someone who wants to go out and learn all these new things, but space is scary.
0: I mean, to be fair, she walks into, like, a room filled with, like, upside-down bodies who are having fluids drained out of them, so, like,
1: scary. It's not- Legit scary. It's not the best fir- first week at work. No. <laughs> so you can't blame her.
2: But it starts off with, the stars are going the wrong way. Yeah.
0: And she doesn't like her uniform. And it's like all these little things at first that she's just, as I learned in my French class, uh, "elle est mal dans sa peau," like she's uncomfortable in her own skin. Hmm. And uh, I well, found thing it- she
2: has that slug friend, yeah. sluggo for that incredibly heavy-handed metaphor.
0: <laughs> yeah, because then at the end, like they find a planet for Slugo because Slugo's sick on the ship. And then she's like, she's feeling better being on the ship. And she tells Sluggo, this isn't exactly like the place you came here from, but it's close enough. It's not that hard to adapt. You're going to do just fine here.
1: But Sluggo goes on to found a very successful cola company.
2: Is she, though? (laughs) Because, like, you don't know if there are predators. You don't know what there is to eat. That's not Sluggo's planet. What if she's an invasive species? What if she destroys the ecosystem?
1: That is Hoshi comforting Hoshi right there. But wait, 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 Grace.
2: What if
0: Sluggo is the ingredient in Sluggo Cola?
1: Oh my god, it was Slurm all along?
0: Yeah, it was. (laughs) But they all just, like, started harvesting Sluggo and Sluggo's descendants to make into Ferengi drinks.
1: Holy crap, this just got dark.
2: Like, you can't just leave an animal on a different planet and be like, Peace! What- what- Ugh. Contamination. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's either not going to be good for the planet or not going to be good for Sluggo. Odds are, but okay. Yeah,
1: Sluggo's dead. So I mean, Slug-O I found
0: Hoshi dead. unfortunately like kind of whiny in this episode, and I oh, I know yeah. that that's like an often gendered critique, but I just thought that it was it was. I don't think every character needs to be like massively confident, but I think at this point she hadn't had a chance to really demonstrate her talents, so it's like leading off on a really weak foot.
1: Hmm. Most definitely.
0: I mean, it does introduce her relationship with Phlox, though, which I think is one of the most interesting parts of her character's, like, scenes throughout the rest of the show.
1: Yeah, they do have a pretty interesting dynamic with her being interested in uh, the mimetic patterns of language and alien cultures and him being from an alien culture.
0: She seems to be, like, one of the more open-minded members of the Enterprise crew, that she is, like, interested in learning more about other cultures versus, mm-hmm. like... Oh, gee, these Vulcans are really boring. Oh,
1: you're not eating meat? Way to go, you space hippie.
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But she goes from such a strong introduction to being whiny and fearful and timid and just a laundry list of stereotypes. Yeah, it
1: feels like a pretty good example of how one writer can carry a character pretty well and the other cannot really know what to do with them.
0: Yeah. I'll say that, like, the intent behind the character, I think, like, this is uh, what uh, Fred Decker, who is one of the producers on the first season and also wrote, uh, I think, three of the first season's episodes, um, he said that Hoshi was the audience's way in. Because she was not comfortable being on the ship, and that was a great way of bringing a character onto a show. In the previous iterations of Trek, everyone was comfortable on that ship, but now you have this person who says, we're going faster than the speed of light to someplace where we don't know what will be there. It's terrifying, and the only thing preventing us from exploding is this big hunk of metal that we're sitting in. I thought that was very compelling.
1: Did this person not see any of the Barkley episodes?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like that was, like, a- a- not a terrible intent, but I just think it undermine her in
2: like an already very male dominated environment yes absolutely it's a perfectly valid thing for a character it is just unfortunate that they chose a woman and above that an asian woman to be the timid and afraid character
1: yeah yeah
2: because you're playing into not only stereotypes of women but of asian women and of Orientalism and yeah. of model minority issues. And it's just one thing upon another with this one character decision.
0: Yeah. And also on like the, the uh you know, take a step back to the crafting of the character to begin with. So Rick Berman is quoted in the 50-year mission as saying, We wanted an Asian actor to play the role of communications officer and go back to a little listening device like Uhura had had in the original series. We also wanted her to be a translator of almost magical abilities, and Linda nailed it. We wanted somebody very vulnerable and someone who was not into flying on spaceships. In the first audition, she completely got it and did very well. So I think that that captures what you're saying, both about that, like, model minority, that she's, like, preternaturally talented at languages, mm-hmm. um, but uh, vulnerable or submissive. Um, I don't think she is particularly submissive but like definitely like that vulnerability stereotype about asian women being like demure or soft spoken mm-hmm. right being afraid is kind of just like another side of that coin
1: and again we see more of that model uh, minority later on when we have just kind of out of nowhere it established that she can break codes, and is a whiz at math, and it feels very telling that we get the, oh yeah, I totally know martial arts, and that I'm actually very good at math reveal at the same time, and it's just kind of like, wow, you guys were not even trying to play against type here, were you?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well...
0: (laughs) Um, let's take a look at some of her other episodes because, um, (laughs) in season one, we have another, this is actually my least favorite Hoshi scene, although there's really like two, I think, really terrible ones. Uh, But one of them is, uh, in Breaking the Ice, where basically everything is going really badly on the ship. And then Archer's like, Hoshi, you know what I need you to do? I need you to find out what flavor of cake Reed likes for his birthday because we want to surprise him with a
2: birthday cake. Party oh planner is part of the communications officer yeah, And job. then she's
0: like, um, maybe I could try fixing recalibrating the communications grid. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. This is way more important. Start calling Earth. What flavor does Reed like? Because, like, there's only two women that we know of on this ship. Uh, One of you has to do domestic chores, I guess.
1: And that is... Such a gendered microaggression right there to delegate the more stereotypically feminine tasks to the women in the group. You hear all the time about women saying, yeah, people just assumed because I was the one woman in the group, I wanted to do the party planning for all the office parties and stuff like that. I was going to take notes
0: in that meeting or I was going to go get everyone coffee. Yeah. And she does and she seems annoyed about it, but she finds out that he likes pineapple. And everyone's happy.
1: And that is such an important subplot. Yeah, and it's like, geez, Archer, you want a
0: cake so much? Why don't you go make him a goddamn cake yourself?
1: Or you can <laughs> just straight up ask him.
0: hmm yes. saying. But I think the other episode where Hoshi is prominent in season one is actually, like, one of her better ones, which is Sleeping Dogs, which is the one where her and T'Pol are on the ship with all the Klingons that are in stasis. Oh, yeah.
1: I actually really enjoy that episode for a season one of any series of mm-hmm. Star Trek. It's a pretty good one. It's... Uh, where we get to see the beginning of that possible hinted uh, mentor relationship between T'Paul and Hoshi. And they have a very good dynamic in this episode uh, with Paul as the seasoned veteran. And Hoshi, again, is that person who's still not very comfortable in this environment she's been put into, but is trying to still do her very best. And
2: And we finally see her standing up for herself and her ideas.
1: Yeah, we get. it's a very good episode for both characters.
2: And I, I do like on that ship that we see her reading the Klingon yeah. yeah, and figuring it out. Because it was kind of disappointing when we knew we were going to have this communications officer before Uhura who would be doing more actual translation. And then we got the universal translator right away. Yeah. Like it was in, what, episode two, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so being able to have her on the away teams and still being a proactive member of the group is cool to see.
2: Right, and they, they reinforced at some point that it was still a prototype and they needed her more, yeah. but I feel like that got lost a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, it it comes and
0: goes. They, I mean, they use it for convenience, but they occasionally make it harder to translate things when it works for the story. But uh, I think this is a good example of her abilities, and also it shows that she's still freaked out. But also, um, I like the way that T'Pol helps her through it. I think it's like a really nice moment between them. And she ultimately still her skills are indispensable, and they're in this pretty tense situation, and they come out on top, and it's because of both of them. And I really like that. And this is a show that like doesn't pass the Bechdel Wallace test that much. Because Hoshi mm. and T'Pol really don't get a ton of scenes together. And I think this showed like a bit of a missed opportunity later that um, they didn't have a stronger kind of mentor-mentee relationship.
1: But again, we get uh, it's an episode where we both get, uh, get to see both of them being competent in different ways. Absolutely. Although I will say when she's doing target practice at the beginning, why wouldn't she hold the phaser with both ha- both hands? I mean, I know they're saying there's no kickback to it, but... You might want to steady your grip if you're aiming.
2: It looks cooler. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, how about Vanishing Point?
1: Oh, man. Oh, v-
2: so frustrating. Actually, it's the so next two are both frustrating.
1: Yeah. We get to see an episode based around a character where, from the get-go, we've got to have concerns about her being played as demure and... um underutilized where she is literally disappearing before our very eyes Right,
2: it's sort of a combination of remember me and one of the barclay transporter episodes which yeah. title is failing me where yeah. he sees things in the transporter beam right um but in both of those tng episodes the characters were listened to and they were and right they were right yeah. and in this episode it's all in hoshi's head and even when it was in her head, her captain and her doctor were just telling her, this is in your head. Yeah. Like, yeah. the whole time. Nobody believed her, even when she was imagining it. Yep. Yeah. This
1: this episode is the whole Cassandra fear personified in the sense that she is uh, she's genuinely afraid. She has a genuine concern. And the first notice we get that something is really wrong is nobody's listening to her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about Remember Me and uh, that Barclay episode before, um, which I also can't remember the name, but we talked about it in our Barclay episode, but.
2: Realm of Fear.
0: Yeah, and the the reason that Remember Me is so powerful and that especially a lot of women and feminists, uh, cite that as, as a really good episode is that it is an episode that counters gaslighting. It, mm-hmm. it counters this, um, tendency to, uh, refuse to believe women. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was, you know, been watching X-Files recently because X-Files is back on and like the number of times that, you know, Mulder would be like, s- there's Sasquatches and they're like, okay, Mulder, we'll go after your thing. And then Scully is like, but I'm having visions. And Mulder's like, that's not possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's kettle, this,
1: black molder. Yeah, it's
0: this like undermining of women's confidence through questioning their sanity and refusing to believe them until they start to question themselves. And this episode just reinforces it because she's afraid of using the transporter and then thinks she's going crazy. Everyone tells her she's going crazy, and then at the end, it turns out she kind of was.
1: These transporters are freaking death trap.
2: There are so many times that we see Hoshi go to Phlox and say, something's not right. I feel uncomfortable. And Phlox runs one scan and says, nope, you're fine. And she replies, are you sure? Because can can you run another test? Because I I really don't feel right. And he says, no, you're fine. So she leaves. And then something terrible happens. And he literally says at, at one point to Archer, I should have listened to her. And it's so frustrating.
0: Flox, you're not a very good doctor, are you? <laughs> Except for, like, I understood that part was all in her head, because at the end when they beam her on board – It's not just in Vanishing Point. No. It happens in other episodes, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other problem with even it happening in Vanishing Point where everything is in her head is what makes it so disappointing is that it doesn't have to end that way, because it, it actually looks like – She is sort of between dimensions, and she's just out of phase with the rest of the ship. And she is actually, like, about to prevent the ship from being exploded by an alien that's also out of phase. It's super exciting. She gets that whole SOS
1: system that she works together with the blinking lights, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So
0: she's doing all this super cool stuff, like, contacting Archer through Morse code on a light panel. And then it just, like, none of that ever happened. So, and, and at the end, like, you have to take as your tiny consolation that Archer's like, but, like, you're getting braver because in your head you stepped on a transporter pad and you were really scared of transporters, so, like, you're conquering your dumb fear.
1: (laughs) Archer, now is not the frickin' time. Read the room, man.
0: Oh, man. I just, I find that one, it's just so disappointing, because, like, 90% of the, like, if you haven't seen it, like, the 90% of the episode, you can be, like, carried along by, and then the ending,
2: you're like, what? No. It's really, like, the last three minutes. Yeah.
0: I will
1: say one thing about this episode, though, and that is, with the character of Hoshi... They find a lot of excuses to show her in midriff outfits, but in this one, when she's hallucinating that there are aliens invading the ship, they're the ones with midriff too, so it's equal opportunity
0: midriff. (laughs) But also, isn't she in like...
1: She's in her workout clothes, and she is wearing the most early 2000s Skechers kicks you will ever see in your (laughs) damn life, and it's incredible.
0: I will say, for what it shows of what it's like in Hoshi's head, if you go back and read it that way... Um, it is interesting, like, it reinforces her insecurities that she is, um, you know, she ends up on the ship and she can't translate basic things and, um, on the bridge and she gets, like, relieved from being on the bridge. And I think, like, that is, and would be, like, a fair depiction of her character in terms of their, their fears, but also, their strengths um mm-hmm. so
1: also as far as hoshi is concerned trip's workout routine just get is getting whirled around in a big spherical
0: exactly arcade <laughs>
1: machine why did they have that on the ship
0: trip is just spinning around practicing not throwing up that's a muscle
1: do they have a ddr machine in the next room
0: <sighs> well it it does make me hopeful that the workout routines of the future will include um breathing up and down while my cat lies on my chest because that's A-plus. like my exercise preference right now.
2: <laughs> Anyone have any other thoughts on Vanishing Point? I'm still really mad that even <laughs> in the 2200s, doctors don't listen to women.
1: Which is well, well and good for us to laugh about and be like, no one's listening to her, but is a very real problem that a lot of people with chronic medical conditions have to deal with.
0: hmm Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Flux doesn't really listen to most people, but... <laughs>
1: Again, Phlox All is right. just not a very good I doctor. I mean, well, her
0: and Paul, I would say, are the two that, like, most commonly go to Flocks and are like, what's going on? And Phlox is like, nothing. You're just See? imagining it. Or you're just a Vulcan, so it's probably just a thing that happens. This isn't
1: a thing for you? I think it's a thing for you.
0: Oh, so, so mad. All
2: right. Let's uh, be mad some more. Our next episode's going to make you even madder.
0: <sighs> okay, so um, we did have um a comment about another early episode from Elizabeth, and the episode is Vox Sola. And Elizabeth just commented, as a translator, I can't help but think of the stupid scene where she starts the episode complaining about a culture having words that can mean a dozen different things in different contexts, as if that isn't how a whole lot of English or Earth languages function, Mm. as if Japanese isn't one such language, as if the word Hoshi isn't one such word.
1: (laughs) Someone didn't do their homework.
0: Yeah, it's like this whole, like, well, she's Asian, we're going to give her an Asian name and stuff, but like, let's not actually do any research about... Yeah. It reminds me of
2: Celebrity Homonym on 30 Rock. <laughs> uh,
0: I hope they have that in the future. It's always the other one! All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the next one, oh man, this is a goodie. Oh, this is a doozy. We're going to jump to Season 3, the episode Exile, which is Bluebeard <sighs> or Beauty and the Beast in Spaced. The one comment I was going to make that I was confusing this with Vanishing Point because in both of these she's like walking around in outfits that you would totally wear a bra with, and she isn't wearing a bra. Hmm. Like uh, the little she's wearing dress. a freaking
1: slip dress. It's, yeah. And this it's one of those really creepy part matters of that trope of I've provided you with something creepy to wear.
0: And yeah. you know what this episode is really missing is like a weird dude with a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It is definitely along the lines of Subrosa, for sure. Don't
1: go in the shuttlecraft.
2: Don't go in that house. Didn't go into the castle in the side of the cave. <laughs> it's really missing the rose with
0: the petals falling off. So brief synopsis of this episode is Hoshi is contacted telepathically by a super ugly alien, but he makes himself seem like he looks like a decently attractive human. And he is exiled on this planet, and he can use his telepathic abilities to, like, learn more about the Zindi weapon that they're trying to track down. So he's like, if you come, I'll help you. And they initially say, oh, she's crazy. Afterwards, they're like, no, we actually believe you, that you were psychically contacted, but it's probably super dangerous. And she's like, no, I want to go. If there's any way he can help our mission, I want to go. So they go down there. And, like, Buddy is, like, super creepy the whole way through. And she's clearly creeped out. Like, there's no point in this episode where you can feel like she's like, yeah, I think I might like to stay here.
1: It's all very indecent proposal.
0: And he's all mad that, like, she brought people with her. And then he's like, I will work on your artifact and, like, try and detect Zindi psychic traces to learn about it. But Hoshi has to stay with me. And Hoshi's like, that sounds like a bad idea. And Hoshi's like, I want to help if that's the only way. I don't think he's going to hurt me. Even though he's creepy. Yeah, great. And even though he's like, didn't go into the part of my castle that has the creepy graves of my ex-wives. <laughs> and I can't do a Scottish. Just accent. don't go in that room. The there's West Wind. Nothing you want to
1: see Basically. there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But she does. And she finds all the graves of his ex-companions. Uh, there's, there's Rose. There's Martha. <laughs> there's, <laughs> wow. Donna Noble. <laughs> No, that would be too No, horrible.
1: Donna Noble just left and forgot.
0: Yeah. Oh, Donna. <laughs> but basically it's like I've been summoning, I've been like reaching out and summoning people across uh through telepathic means. They've all been super skeptical at first, but then they've all come around and wanted to stay with me because together I can like introduce you new ways of seeing the universe.
1: I'm not sure I believe that.
2: And then he tries to convince her by like projecting again as the attractive human. Yeah. Which felt very TOS to me. Like, but oh, yeah. will you want to stay if I'm hotter? Yeah. She
0: tries to pretend to be Archer and trick her into staying. Mm-hmm. Which if that's
1: not going to convince you, you need to leave right away. Then what is?
0: I mean, the only thing I guess I can say for this episode is I did appreciate Hoshi standing up for herself. Yeah. But this wasn't like really, you know, you can't call this like a feminist retelling of Bluebeard or a feminist retelling of Absolutely the Absolutely not. Her standing
1: no. up for herself is just too little too late.
0: It's like a bad situation basically replica of those pretty anti-feminist fairy tales where in you know most of those fairy tales it's like the woman uh gets what's coming to her for snooping but she's basically like has to stay with her captor and that's the way it should be just because yeah. she like happened to get out i don't consider that like enough of a twist on the tail yeah. it's still gross and then they're like, "It's really he's icky. nice, and he actually gave us the information at the end."
1: He still kind of took your crewman captive and made her wear a slip dress.
0: Yeah, I liked Ugh. when she, when he, he, or she was like threatening to destroy his little psychic transmitter thing. Also, like Enterprise just goes off and leaves her because he, she's like, you know, there's a war on, him. we can't just do. One thing at a time. So you guys have to go off and do this
2: whole separate mission. That's just a really bad idea, Hoshi.
0: It was really yeah. dumb. They should have at least been like, we insist on leaving two other people. Or we insist on like leaving a shuttlecraft. Yeah. And
1: make make Tripp stay behind. Make him wear a slip dress, too.
2: <laughs> I'm sure it would be gorgeous. I did think it was interesting that she was ready to make the sacrifice, though. Yes. That he was like, well... Something, uh, you'll be here with me forever. And she's like, what, for 60 more years? Then what? Yeah. When she thought
0: it was Archer telling her to stay, she was like, okay, I'll guess I'll stay. Like, I get my duty. I'm not super happy about it, but she was ready to do that, which is nice. But that's like also very much a repeat of like the beauty and the beast. You know, I'll stay because that's the only way my father will be okay.
2: Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Also, the woman of the episode and the Asian of the series just being like, well, that's what you want me to do. Okay.
0: Yeah, I didn't feel bad for him at all. I feel no. like there was something that the audience was supposed to feel bad for him, or maybe feel—I don't know. I felt like there was no, almost no tension. You knew that he was going to have to let her go, or mm-hmm. that she was going to escape. <laughs> oh well, it sh- just like more people with with bad Scottish accents. The uh, more of the psychic ball could have been a candle. <laughs> All right. Um. Later in season three, uh, Hoshi becomes a master codebreaker um, as she is kidnapped by the Zindi.
2: Aren't all linguists master codebreakers? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, it, I was being sarcastic.
1: Yeah, it feels like a cop out again. And uh, we get that episode where she just says, yeah, math is just another kind of language. It's like, no. No. It's a little different. No. And again, you're just... You're making the one Asian on the show really
2: good at math. That's why you have a language section of the SAT and a separate math section. Yeah. And when you your score is two hundred points apart, you have to undergo an investigation. <laughs> yeah. It happened to me. Ah,
0: oh, no way. Yeah. Anyway, so this is in the – there's, like, a three-episode arc, The Council, Countdown, and Zero Hour. And at the beginning, there is actually, like, it's kind of cool. They take Hoshi down to help with the negotiations because she's one of the only people that can translate, like, Zindi aquatic. And um, we had a comment from Brandon on her Facebook. Of course, she
1: has to stick her head underwater to hear it, naturally.
0: (laughs) Brandon said, I love that Hoshi created a universal translator that could translate Zindi insectoid. It shows how amazing she is at languages. So, um, the other Zindi were having trouble understanding insectoid, and then the insectoids were impressed that she could also translate aquatic. Um, so they kidnap her and brainwash her and force her to work for them to make a weapon that will destroy oh, really. her. It's painful. A little bit. She
1: gets kidnapped a lot.
0: Yep. I'm going to say that, like, I think that the character had a lot of similar problems to Harry Kim, um, where they had similar problems with, like, model minority Asian stereotyping with making the character kind of, like, too good, a little uninteresting, and also putting them in peril a lot. And she basically ends up in a situation similar to, like, Chekhov in Wrath of Khan where they put parasites in her that force her to work for the Zindi, and clearly hurt a lot. You get to see, like, the agonizing screams scenes. And, like, how would you not feel just, like, horribly traumatized after being put through that and, like, being forced to do this work that almost led to the destruction of your planet?
1: Yeah. But, of course, we don't see that really followed up on, I imagine.
2: Mm, No, not that I remember. Not really. Well, she does...
1: (sighs) It was just the trauma of the week.
2: She does try to... Stop the Zindi weapon by killing herself. Duncan on our Facebook said um, that
0: he found that moment very heroic. And I, I can agree. Like, it's frustrating because she's put through the ringer so often. But, like, she does occasionally do these really brave things that are – would be, like, even more remarkable if she was allowed to be an instrumental part of things at other times.
1: Mm -hmm. If she had more to do in a wider range.
0: He did add, mostly, I think, they squandered a character who should have been given more respect. She is clearly a linguistic genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did, like, sort of like the diplomat role, and I think it would have been cool if they used that more when they were going and interacting with alien species. If she had been there to be more of, like, a diplomat translator, that would have been cool. All right. So, we are basically into Season 4, although I wanted to mention we had another, another comment from Janet who said, my favorite Hoshi moment is when she's in charge of the ship and stands up to Samuels, which we think is in the Terra Prime, the episode uh, Terra Prime in the storyline there. Um, Janet says, it might not be realistic to make an ensign acting captain, but it really shows how far she came from the reticent person she was in the beginning. That said, I agree with the other comments that she was wasted by the writers.
2: No argument there. Nope.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Linda Park also said in 50 Year Mission that she feels she got a lot more confident as a person Over uh, the years that the show was on air, because she was 23 when she first got hired, and she says that she just, like, accepted everything she was told to do and took an inferior stance on both, like, business and acting decisions, and that as she grew as a professional, she also grew as a character – or she helped Hoshi grow as a character. So, into season four, which may be not the best example, but Observer
2: (laughs) (laughs) Observer Effect is yet another one of those episodes um, where characters are given random backstories late in the run of a show.
1: Things are just kind of tacked on there to be like, oh, no, they were interesting all along. We just didn't show it to you.
2: Yeah, so Hoshi was a great gambler and, like, cleared out a poker game full of senior officers and also has a black belt in, I think it was aikido.
1: Again, just randomly saying that your one Asian character has known how to do martial arts all along. Little iffy.
0: But also never using it. I would be into having seen her in more away mission fight scenes.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like she's been kidnapped multiple times or anything. Yeah. It's not like that would have come in super freaking handy.
0: It would have been great if she had just, like, beat up the weirdo alien that was basically holding her hostage. Oh, that would have been...
1: that would have been amazing.
0: I know she yeah. was, like, trying to get the information, and so she was all in her duty mode. So I'm not necessarily saying don't get the information, but definitely when he pretended to be Archer, she should have kicked his ass.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely would have.
0: But I am, like, I, I'm i into them, at least, you know, ne- even near the end of the show. They didn't know, well, they maybe did by that point in the season, that it was going to be the end. And, uh you know i i do appreciate they're still giving her like more characteristics and actually they didn't know by that episode because the episode that they found out they were canceled was in a mirror darkly which is the next one we're going to talk about <laughs> um
2: i would say this would be another
0: hoshi highlight actually where
2: she's a totally different character yeah
0: yeah let's go into that well i mean the ending <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. We get to see her do the whole coup d'etat thing, don't we?
0: Yeah. I mean, we we talked about this in our Mirror Universe episode, Ripped and Machiavellian. Uh, but uh, she basically starts out as Archer's captain's woman, where she lies around in his quarters in lingerie the whole time. And she ends up the Empress of the Terran Empire. So that's pretty sweet. And she's, like, wielding a knife and commanding the bridge. And she destroys this other ship and takes over the defiant i mean it's
2: the the last instance of the episode <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> you know? yeah i mean that's that was a bit disappointing and i mean they actually at that point they were like this episode is so good we like we love how the actors are all just like playing off each other better if we do a season five we should just set the whole thing in the mirror universe which maybe could would have been cool and i definitely would have been into more empress hoshi stories mm-hmm. oh definitely i mean, I do uh we talked about this a bit in the mirror Rest episode i don't love that Hoshi ends up, like, in a uh, very, like, girly fight with T'Pol, where they're just, like, yeah, that... slut-shaming each other while fighting ineffectually. Oh
2: Yeah, that was not great. No. No.
1: Up until the, the point where Hoshi gets to be Empress Hoshi, a lot of it is pretty negative on her character's part, so. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that her being the captain's woman really plays into that stereotype of Asian women being, like, oversexed kittens and all that. Mm-hmm. Not great, especially when you have so few women on your show already.
0: Yeah. Does anyone want to read the quote by Linda Park about In a Mirror Darkly?
1: Uh, Linda said, I really did like being the aggressor and being more... I don't want to say strong, because Hoshi was strong in her own way, but the mirror Hoshi was strong in the way that Medea is strong, in the way that Clytemnestra is strong, in a very archetypical warrior woman way. And truth be told, I think at that point in my life, I was really growing out of being a kid and wanted to grow and really stretch my legs as a woman. And that started with the mirror Hoshi and continued with the two characters I played on TV after Enterprise. When I started Enterprise, I was using a lot of student out of drama school going into the real world attitude, which was what was going on in my life. And by the end, I was starting to play a stronger woman, becoming a stronger woman, and I wanted to do more of that.
2: Yep. It would have been good to get to see more.
1: It really would have.
2: And yet, how she is seen by her audience, as summed up in Gender and Sexuality in Star Trek... David Grevin, I believe is how it's pronounced, a professor said, Ensign Hoshi Sato is an Asian-American linguist and the communications officer, prone to fearful fits and generally seen as ineffectual in any terms other than li- the linguistic aspects of her job. Hoshi is the resident screamer.
0: Yeah, I don't think she we, she literally screams super, super often, but probably more than l- most of the other characters. Um, In the finale... We learn that uh, she eventually marries a man named Takashi Kimura and retires from Starfleet with the rank of lieutenant commander. I feel like the character could have done better. She doesn't even make it to, like, captain or admiral or anything like we're kind of accustomed to seeing.
1: Or ambassador would have made a lot of sense.
0: I mean, Sulu obviously gets um, a pretty big boost from the beginning of TOS to the end of his canon career. But him and Hoshi really get kind of shafted,
2: and it's Mm -hmm. unfortunate. Yeah. Well, we also learn from that episode that Hoshi stays with Archer for as long as he's a captain. As his communications officer, does he never promote her? I guess she gets up to being lieutenant commander, so... Well, I presumably, he went on to be an admiral be- before she left yeah. Starfleet. Yeah, right? maybe.
0: Huh. Uh, poor Hoshi. Like, she's <laughs> holding yeah. her own career back out of loyalty for- to her captain. That sucks.
2: <laughs> Just
0: like Riker. You know, Uhura and stuff were still <laughs> serving under Kirk, but they got, like, definitely bumped up to much higher ranks. Like, mm-hmm. the Scotty, e, Captain Scott. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Maybe, like, it just got easier to have promotions after those early days of the Federation, and before it was just, like, the Wild West of space, and they're like, promotions? No one gets those. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was still just such a white dudes club, and that's unfortunate to think, but we don't get a lot of reason to see otherwise. Yeah, I
2: mean, they definitely, I think it's generally agreed that Hoshi was underdeveloped, underutilized. And there, there could have been so much more done with that character, especially when at a time in a universe when we're supposed to be discovering new planets and encountering new aliens that we haven't seen before and figuring out the universal translator. And that was just something that really wasn't put in stories very often. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to bring up because again, the the problems when starting to to put together some notes for this episode i wound up on uh the track bbs of course and in the ultimate hoshi sato appreciation thread the name of the thread the third sentence of the first post called her a feisty little piece of eye candy so Mm. i like that's a stereotype that that they were up against from the very beginning with this character. Not to mention it's
1: such a diminutizing term. I mean, have you ever heard John Cena called feisty? Really? Really?
0: Yeah, it's like something you call like someone that you don't take that seriously, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you're like you're like a dog yapping at my uh, snapping at my ankles kind of thing. Yeah. Like this a feisty one. Ugh. I mean, I'm sure that Enterprise did not help with decon scenes, <laughs> things like that. No no Dear they God, were certainly no. making the most of the their brawless,
2: gelled up lady characters well if you believe george lucas there's no underwear in space yes
0: i don't believe that at all <laughs> <laughs> but um do you guys have ideas for things that you would have liked to see hoshi do Had maybe had their benefit season or just you know changing the way that things went for the first four seasons
1: um, well, I think for one thing, it really tells how much the writers as a group see a character um, based on what in-universe is established as having happened to them after the events of the show. I feel like there was so much that could have been done there with her skill set and just us getting to see her grow more as a character, what little we did get to. There was a lot that could have been done there. they would be like, no, Hoshi went on to do great things, but... And just having her retire at Lieutenant Commander is seems like a cop-out. Mm-hmm. It's
0: upsetting. I also don't know that it would have helped necessarily, but there are several of the other characters that we get to learn stuff about their family, like Archer from the very beginning. We learn about Trip's sister. We get to see Travis on his family's ship. We learn about Reed doesn't really talk to his parents. Um, and Hoshi, we get to see her dad in her brain being told that she's dead in the thing where she's not actually disappearing because she's actually crazy. And he's kind of aggressive. And
1: he's kind of a stereotypical angry Asian dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, maybe there could have been something there that could have expanded her character to um, show a bit more of her relationship with her family in a hopefully not horribly stereotypical way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do learn a little bit in Exile that, you know, they realized she was gifted so they took her out of school. And had pri- she had private tutors, so she was always alone and always studying. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, they could have played with that a bit more, too, because, you know, in Exile, um, Creepo dude keeps saying, you know, you are, like, feel so alone on Enterprise, and I think we're supposed to buy that, that, like, she feels... Um, isolated because she's always felt isolated because she's gifted and she isolates herself from the Enterprise crew, but we don't really see that. Like, we see her go to the movie yeah. nights and chat with people in the restaurant thing, the, the, what's the gal, I don't know, where does the chef eat? The mess. Um, the galley. <laughs> but, um, they, uh, we see her hitting on that dude on Ryza in two days and two nights. Uh, We see her befriending aliens all over the place, so I don't see her as, like, an introverted loner character.
2: That quick scene is actually one of my favorite things with Hoshi, (laughs) is that she's – no, seriously, I know it's a terrible episode, (laughs) but (laughs) when she's on Risa and she's just sitting there, like, having lunch by herself, I appreciate that. But then just listening and trying to learn the language just because she's curious about it. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'll go down to this planet and I will have a good time. And that may mean several things, but I'm also <laughs> going to
2: keep brushing
0: up on my languages. Tee <sighs> Yeah, so I didn't really buy that in Exile. And I think um, her relationships with other characters on the crew are decent, but they don't really go super deep. I really would have liked to see more relationship with T'Pol. Like, it would have been cool if – um she was someone who could help to Paul out with a lot of the the issues to Paul deals with with Vulcan. Like maybe Hoshi has different insight because she speaks the language so well, because language and culture are closely interconnected. So maybe Hoshi could help her, you know, navigate the situations that she has to deal with through, you know, various seasons of being treated poorly by Vulcan society. Uh-huh. Also, more Hoshi. In fight scenes. Yeah, with her black belt.
1: Since apparently she has this
0: black belt. Yep. Well, we can always imagine and read the books. And actually, if anyone has a good suggestion of a book that features Hoshi, I would be into hearing about it. So please do comment.
2: Yeah, I haven't read many of the Enterprise books, but I would be interested to find more.
0: Yeah. I understand there are some good ones about Empress Hoshi, but I I don't know about... uh, First of all, which ones those are. And I also don't know about good Prime Universe Hoshi storylines.
2: Fair enough. All right. So do we have any more final thoughts on Hoshi?
1: I have a ranking I can give her. (laughs)
2: Oh. We usually don't rank our characters, but... What do you got, Grace?
1: As a linguist, I give her eight out of eight hovercrafts
2: full of eels.
1: (laughs) It loses something in the translation.
2: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I don't know what's happening, but I'm gonna wrap up this episode. Grace, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: You can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank.
2: And Jarrah? Vous me trouverez Sir Twitter Ah
0: Jarrah Penguin. ja penguin on anglais. Jarrah's learning French. This is why we need uh, Hoshi's more than ever. I'm just trying to prove her meaning.
2: Wow. I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Women at Warp on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Women at Warp. Or you can send us an email to crew at Women at Warp dot com. And of course, again, over on patreon at patreon.com/ Warp. and for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcasts with an s.roddenberry.com Thanks so much for joining us